Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. We trust that the Lord will bless our our home group of Encounter Grace, our way to sing at Kilkeel Baptist tonight with our friend Pastor George McConnell there. And I trust that they'll have a blessed evening praying for them, that the Lord would use them and reach souls there this evening under the sound of the gospel and song and the sound of the preaching of the word of God there. Mark's Gospel 14, beginning to read at verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Our text was Mark 14 to verses 22 to 26, but Our reading was, but our text is really found in verse 26. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Father, tonight we ask you to make this real to our minds and our hearts, that you would engraft it into our spirit, that you would imprint it upon our minds. And Lord, would you help us to see Jesus and him alone. Thank you, there rose a lamb in Jerusalem. We thank you that he has risen from the dead. And because he lives, we shall live also. We pray, Father, tonight that whether there are those who are watching live, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube, Or later on, we pray that your word would find an encouraging lodging place in the hearts of your people. Or else, Lord, we pray that if there's one that is here tonight, or listening later, that they would come to saving faith if they're not saved. And Father, we pray that he would be exalted in our lives. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. The hymn... Jesus sang at Passover. Someone asked me, is this Psalm 118? And the answer is, yes, it's part of it. It's part of it. Warren then had put up, because he had been speaking on one of the verses of it, this is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Is that part of it? Yes, that's part of it too. We want to look at an overview of what the Lord Jesus is believed to have sang on the night in which he left the upper room, went across the brook Kidron and into the Garden of Gethsemane, there where he would sweat, as it were, great drops of blood to the ground, where Judas Iscariot would betray him and find him with the temple guards. And then they would take him to be tried in a a kangaroo court and found guilty, although innocent, and sentenced to death. All in this night, Jesus sang an hymn. It says in our reading, verse 26, And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. The word hymn here, the word H-Y-M-N is the Greek word hymnio. And it simply means a religious ode or a celebration to God. And of course, in the days which our Lord was in, they would have looked back to the old covenant and they'd have looked back to the Psalms and they would have sang the Psalms unto God. Some say that this would have been sang to a harp that would be played by 
for example, David, and now it would have been the tradition to have a harp. We don't read that, we don't know that, but it's possible it happened, but we can't be 100% sure of that. But this, this hymn which they sang is believed to be Psalm 113, right through to Psalm 118, and then others say he also sang Psalm 136, because it should be added in along with it. We're going to do a little overview in a minute and let you see what the Lord Jesus is purported to have sang before he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane to the Mount of Olives. I take note of this because it's called the Great Hallel. That's what it's known as, the Great Hallel. And it means the Great Praise or Great Praises. For example, when we sing, when we say Hallelujah, it means praise the Lord, or Hallel means praise, and Luyah means to Yah, to Yahweh, or to Jehovah. So it's praise the Lord. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, eternal, now in human form, now in the upper room, instituted the Last Supper with the breaking of the bread and the drinking from the cup. And he starts to sing, knowing Calvary is looming before him. He starts to sing the great Hallel. He worships his father. Think about this. In his trial to come, with the agony that's before him, with the pain and the suffering that lies ahead, he starts to sing the great Hallel unto his father. This word, hymnuo, uh, if I can just look and give you a little example, to give you a strength of the song, the, the strength of the word of it. For example, in, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, when Paul and Silas are placed in prison for preaching Jesus and the resurrection, it says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises. That means they sang hymnual. In other words, it means they sang odes, possibly hymns, or, or pardon me, psalms. And they sang them unto the Lord. And listen, it says, uh, as they sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And Paul and Silas, we know, reading the scripture, that they were released. They were set free. They were delivered. And here's a little example for us that when we are in our trials, in our prison house, when you and I even spiritually are bound with, with our own thoughts and our own fears and our own anxieties and our own worries, that, that if we were to start to sing the praises of God, start to sing the glory of God, there's deliverance in singing the praises of God. And Paul and Silas realized that they sang, and there was a great earthquake, of course, that we're told the, the, the jailhouse rocked and they were set free and they were delivered. And in the same sense, the Lord Jesus, he sang the great Hallel, the praises to his father. He sang these praises to God in the same night in which he was betrayed. In the same night in which he would be arrested, in the same night in which he would be manhandled and beaten and battered and bruised and, and brought through the night to different quango courts from, uh, Her- from the Herod to, uh, the, the high priest to the very, the very Roman Senate, or pardon me, the very Roman Pilate would be there. And Christ would be tried by these men. But little did Pilate even know, although Jesus was before him, he thought he was trying Jesus. But really he was before Jesus. And Jesus was trying him. Sometimes we feel, well, we're we're going to test you, God. We're going to test you. We're going to try you. And if you don't, then this. And if you don't, then that. I'm going to try you. But every time we do that, we're, we're not realizing that maybe God's just trying us. God is trying us instead. Notice here, 
the Lord Jesus sang the great Hallel. And yet he faced Calvary. Yet he faced his blood being shed. Yet he faced the torture of the cross and the pain and the shame of it and the the suffering of it and the scourging of the whipping post. And yet in Isaiah 53, in verse 4, it says of the, the, the Lord Jesus that he was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Notice, stricken, smitten of God. It doesn't say he was stricken, smitten of the Jews. They cried for it. They cried it. The Romans applied it. But it was all in God's plan and purpose. Showing the sovereignty of God that this was not an accident that God had made. But he was smitten, stricken of God and afflicted. And even in Isaiah 53 and verse 10 it says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. His own father. His own father. And sometimes you and I say, Lord, as if God is not a good God. Lord, why am I thus? Why is this happening? Or why has that happened? And yet, he put his own son to grief. It's sobering when we think about it. You know why he done this? It says it pleased the father to bruise him. I think of the time John the Baptist is baptizing him in the river Jordan. And there as he's baptizing him, the spirit comes to light on him in the bodily form of a dove. And a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. The one beloved son is the words, and it means the one, the son of my love. The son who calls the love out of my heart. That's the words of the father. See him in the water. This one here, whom my spirit has rested upon, the one whom John the Baptist has his hands on, who is baptizing him to fulfill all righteousness. This one, he's the only one who's my son, uniquely my son. And he calls the love out of my heart. That's the words of the Father. That's the idea of it in the Greek text. He calls the love out of my heart. Yet the Father gave him The Father sent him to die for someone like me. Yet the Father pleased him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was pleased with his Son. He was well pleased with his ways. He was pleased with his son and his doing and his dying, his fulfilling of the law, living a life we couldn't live and and keeping the law we couldn't keep and dying in a place where we should have died, taking the punishment we should have taken. And the father says, this is the one who calls the love out of my heart and I'm pleased to give him for you. Please the Lord to bruise him. Now, this cherished olive of a son, this cherished one is in an upper room about to go to be crushed in God's olive press. Gethsemane means the olive press where they crush the olives that the oil would come out for the temple and for other uses, but they used it for the temple. And here Christ leaves this place after singing praises unto God. And, and there in Gethsemane, which means God's olive press, it's, he's crushed. He's bruised in it. He's crushed that he falls in his face in the ground. He's crushed that he cannot even cope with what is happening to him. He is the author of life, yet he is surrounded by death. And the idea is when he cries unto the Father that he's saying that death is surrounding me, the author of life. 
And he sweats, as it were, great drops of blood to the ground. The, the, the olive oil, as it were, of the sweat of Christ. This precious olive about to be crushed is now in the upper room with the disciples. They have uh, just instituted the breaking of the bread and the drinking from the cup to remember his death. And he says, let's sing. What will we sing? Well, if it was here, one of, one of us might be singing some old sad country song. Just to bring the blether to the eye. Christ sang the great Hallel to praise his father. He sang the great Hallel to bless his father. Before he would leave to go to Gethsemane on into Calvary. Paul and Silas, when they sang praises, God delivered them. But the Lord Jesus sang the same praises. He sang the great Hallel, this hymn, to his father. But his father delivered him to the cross. Wow. His father delivered him to the cross for me and for you. This hymn that he sang, it's known as the great Hallel or the great praise to Yahweh or Jehovah God. But you know what else it's known as and what it was sang as? It's known as the Paschal Psalms. The Paschal Psalms. In other words, they were sang at Passover when Israel were to take the lamb and when they were in Egypt and slay the lamb and take the blood into a basin and put it, dip hyssop into it and put it on the doorposts and on the door lintels. And the Lord says tonight, I'm passing through, notice passing through Egypt. The tenth plague, the final, was the death plague of the firstborn. And he says, tonight I'm passing through in the judgment, passing through Egypt. In other words, it's come, the time has come for the final plague number ten. Ten is the, the number for God's perfect divine will of judgment. Ten commandments and so on. And he says, tonight is the tenth. I will be passing through Egypt. But listen, take the blood and put it on the door, post the door lintels. And he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood was the passing over. And everyone who had the blood on the door post and the door lintels that night, while judgment was happening, where they were preserved and they were protected by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Paschal or the Passover Lamb. Now Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is singing about the Paschal or the Passover Lamb. Singing the Paschal Psalms of praise. And there he's singing unto his Father before he offers himself up to the cross. John the Baptist at that time at Jordan when he was baptizing the Lord Jesus in John 1 and 29, pointing to him says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. There he is, this one. You see the streams of people coming down the Jordan. The people coming, it says, that was like the whole world came out to John in the wilderness and he's, they're repenting at the preaching of the word. And now he's baptizing them in Jordan. But there's one figure. There's one person. And there's only one man. And he points him out. And he says, behold. The word behold isn't just, now look, look, see him over here. No. In the original text it reads with a shock and with an awe. With an excitement. So John in the river seeing all of these people, one coming through them all. He spies the Christ and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's the way it reads. And there he comes down and the Father says, I love him. I love him. 
what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 and 7, prophesying over 700 years before he comes. Isaiah says he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And hence the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 that Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And Peter reminds us that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold after the feigned conversation or tradition of your fathers. 1 Peter 1 and 19 he says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And know what he's saying? Like the lamb that Israel come out under the blood from Egypt, the Passover. He says, well, Christ, he is our Passover and we aren't redeemed by our religion or our tradition. We cannot be saved by religion, tradition or denomination. He says, but it's by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It's only by the blood. In Psalm 113, if you will look at it as we just look and do an overview of this, this would take weeks to go through. Psalm 113, we'll read a few verses, a few lines here and there, just to give you an idea. And you can imagine him, this wonderful one. This wonderful one. This beautiful man, the Son of God. This precious one, before he gives himself to offer himself up, he starts with praise. Look at the words, praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah, in other words. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, would you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Would you shout it out? Yeah, we praise him. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. He starts, Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the King. He's sitting in a room with some men. And here he's saying to his followers, Praise him. Praise him. And then he says in verse 2, Bless the Lord. Know how we bless the Lord? We speak well of Him. We speak highly of Him. And we remind Him of what He is to us and done for us. Notice praising in verse 1. Blessing in verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And Jesus, how long should we praise for? And how long should we be blessing for? He says, from the rising of the sun. Think about this. He is saying this. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. But you're going to go through a terrible time. But you're going to go to Gethsemane and you're going to go to Calvary and you're going to be in agony. You're going to suffer and you're going to bleed and you're going to die. And he says, yes, I know. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. Keep praising the Lord and keep blessing the Lord. That's the first psalm the Lord Jesus would have sang. And then he would have sang in the ver- Psalm 114. And he talks about Egypt, Israel coming out of Egypt, just as we have mentioned. Verse 1, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from the people of strange language. Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Notice the sea sought and fled and Jordan was driven back. You know what he's saying? They came to the Red Sea and it stood up in heaps. Then later on when Joshua came to the river Jordan, it stood up in heaps again. Telling me, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. If God's done it before, he can do it again. And hence, we could go on 
but time would not allow us. Psalm 115, he then says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give glory for thy mercy, for thy truth's sake. He talks about the idolatrous worship of Israel and about the, the, the gods of the heathen coming in. And we can see it all around us, even in our own land. Look at what he says just briefly. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold. What does Peter say? Not with silver and gold have we been redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. Ears have they, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. And hands have they, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. In other words, they're just idols and they're all dead. There's no other God but the one true living God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's singing this, being almighty God in the flesh himself, coming from glory, one with the Father. And now he's sitting and he's saying, all other gods, all of your idols and your statues, they've mouths and they can't speak and ears they can't hear. Feet and they can't walk and hands they can't handle. You know what he's saying? They can do nothing for you. Absolutely nothing. God himself is sitting as a lamb. And he's singing it. He's singing this. Telling us that salvation is only through Christ himself. And what he was about to go out to accomplish. Psalm 116. I love this. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice. Oh, the humanity of David as he writes this, but the humanity of the Savior as he sings this. I love the Lord. I love my Father. He's heard my voice. Yet in Calvary's tree, he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? That's Psalm 22 and verse 1 repeated on the cross by Jesus. Didn't know separation from his his father. The son didn't know separation from the father. Why have you forsaken me? See the idea in the original text, by the way? It gives the idea when he's on the cross. This is the way it would read. Father, why have you forsaken me? Or father, why have you left me abandoned? Why have you left me abandoned in a place like this? A hateful place. A place of hurt and hate. And so, isn't it true of all of us when we say, I love the Lord? Do you know why you love the Lord, brother? Do you know why you love the Lord, sister? Because he first loved me. I love the Lord because. We always have to love him. Just There has to be a because. But he loved us without a because. He loved us in spite of us, not because of us. Did you hear that, brother, sister, who you are wondering, does he love me? He loved you in spite of you, not because of you. And hence, he goes down in this very psalm, and here he talks about verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. Imagine verse 16. Oh, Yahweh, or Yog Jehovah, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant. 
the son of thine handmaiden, here even prophesying of Christ, that is, I am thy servant, the son of Mary, brought through the matrix of a virgin's womb. And he said, I'm your servant. He came to serve his father. When we go to Psalms 117, he bursts into praise. Again, imagine, I'd love to have been there. I'd just love to be, as it were, a fly on the wall. I'd just love to have heard the tones of his voice as he's singing this. I wonder what his singing voice sounded like. And look, he's a man, so it sounds like a man's voice, but I'm sure his father made this vessel of a body for him, and he made it perfect. He surely would have sounded better than I sing anyway. But I wonder what the expressions on his face were like. When he starts to go through this, and there's the, the times of what's lying ahead of him, and the consternation on his face. And you might say, hey, Pastor, do you really believe there was consternation in Jesus' face? Absolutely, I do. When he was sitting in Bethany in the house of, of Lazarus, and they're all speaking about who's going to be the greatest. There is one woman. And she comes and she sees the consternation on his face. And she takes the alabaster box and she starts to anoint his head for the death of his, and his burial. She, she noticed on Christ. She noticed his face. He's the Lamb of God. By the way, this time there have been thousands and upon thousands of thousands of people. There's actually a, over a, maybe... Thousands and thousands of priests were told and Levites there alone. Thousands of people. Every bed and breakfast was booked up. Every hotel was full. You couldn't have got a place. You'd had to maybe camp outside in places. But the thing about it is, in Bethany is only a couple of miles away. And that place would have been packed solid with people coming to the Passover. And while that week was passing and while he's in that house, they would have even heard people singing the Paschal Psalms. They would have heard people singing what's known as the Songs of Degrees. And they would have been singing about sacrificing the Lamb. And here is the Lamb of God. The precious Christ. And they're just walking past him. They missed the day of their visitation. They missed the day of their visitation. And there he is sitting there. Beautiful he is, without spot or blemish. There's no marring or marking. Perfect man, yet perfect God. And he's God's perfect man, and he's man's perfect God. There he is. The world that we live in passes him by. As if he doesn't exist, not knowing him, who has come to redeem us. It's like the world today still, isn't it? It's like our land today, isn't it? There he is, the perfect one, and they pass him by. Yes, consternation would be in his face, and this woman seen it, and she went over to anoint him to soothe his thoughts. Can you see his face maybe? Psalm 117. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. He's singing the great Hallel, singing the Paschal Psalms. When we go into Psalm 118, it starts again, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. In this psalm, if I'm right offhand, there's only five times it says, His mercy endureth forever. 
Give thanks to him because his mercy endureth forever. Give thanks to him because his mercy endureth forever five times. And here's the thing about this. Five is the number of grace. The mercy is we do not get that which we do deserve. We deserve to be in our sin. We deserve to be found guilty. We deserve to be lost because of our very depraved nature. We deserve that because that's who we are. We're worms of Jacob. Dust of the earth. But grace finds us and we do not get that which we do deserve. In Psalm 118, we're giving thanks unto the Lord in verse 1. And if you're at your eye, run down, please, to verse 27. It tells us that God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Notice, God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. And verse 29 ends with giving thanks again. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, that's the, all of that, all of those together are the great hallel, the hallelujah that Jesus sang before Gethsemane, then Calvary. Sang from his heart to his father. And some say Psalm 136 we've been, let's just briefly, and we'll just pick a couple of parts out of it. Psalm 136, please. And again, it starts off with, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. There are 26 verses in Psalm 136. And 26 times, once in every verse it says, For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. Praise God, brothers and sisters, that his mercy endureth forever. Every time we fail, every time we sin, every time we falter, Every time we're lackluster and lazy and we're lethargic and every time we don't do what we should and should do what we shouldn't do and we thank God that his mercy endures forever. Thank God for his mercy. 26 times, 26 verses, the psalmist has it and it is believed that Jesus sang this. Give thanks to him. Why, Lord? Because his mercy endures forever. But listen, his mercy didn't endure to Christ. His mercy endures for you, and his mercy endures for me. His mercy endures for you, brother, and for you, sister. But it didn't endure for Christ. For all the wrath, the fullness of wrath, the whole punishment which we deserve was poured out on him at Golgotha's hill. No mercy. No mercy. We pay our penalty to the to the fullest. To the fullest. As we round this up, so much in this. I enjoyed writing it. Enjoyed thinking about it and meditating on it. But it brought, melted my heart. When the Spirit draws you around the person of Christ, when the Holy Spirit, when He draws you around to the person of Christ, the Lamb of God, the Blessed Son, devotion. Devotion gathers in the heart. Love overflows the soul. Joy will overwhelm the spirit. When we look at the person of Christ, the beautiful Christ, the wonderful Christ, we find, brothers and sisters, that we're drawn to him Because he says, I am the good shepherd, the chaos, the attractive, winsome shepherd. Can I ask you a question you can answer in your heart tonight, church, brothers and sisters? 
Have you been drawn to him tonight? Have you been drawn to him tonight? Have you seen by the word and the spirit the loveliness of him tonight? The beauty of him? The wonder of him? Turn with the Psalm 118. We'll close this. Thank you for being here on a holiday weekend. Thank you for your attention tonight. Let's keep our minds on the Lord Jesus. Let's keep our hearts open to him for a moment. Psalm 118. And please just let your eye run down. Let's run down to verse 22. I picture him sing this to his father. The stone which the builders refused has become the head stone of the corner. (laughs) They don't want me in their temple. They didn't want God in their temple. They wanted their tradition. But you see, he would build a new temple and he would be the headstone. He would be the cornerstone. And he's wanted. Do you know what temple that is? It's not a third temple in Jerusalem. Do you know what temple that is? I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. You're it. I want him. I want him. Who wants him? To whom is he welcome? I want him. I want more of him. I want him. He's welcome. He's wanted. He's desired. And he's the head the chief cornerstone. And of course, I'll read you some scriptures. We haven't time to go into it. Matthew 21 and 42. Mark chapter 12 and verse 10. Luke chapter 20 and verse 17. And 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. All speak of Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Here he's singing it. He's singing it. They didn't want me. Father, before Gethsemane, Father, before Calvary, for the agony, here he's singing it. Father, I'm rejected of them. We will not have this man to reign over us. Away with him. Crucify him. Crucify him. They've rejected. They've refused me. But Father, when you raise me from the dead and you pour out of your spirit, I'm going to be the chief cornerstone of a new temple. Notice what he says in Psalm 118 and verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now listen, sometimes we have said it because there's bad weather and you may be coming up the doors in church and I've said it before myself. So I'm not saying there's a condemnation or I'm not being critical. Sometimes if it's raining, someone goes, oh, it's a rotten day, the rain. And well, you'll be saying that nearly all the time here. But, you know, we would say that and someone might say, if we're feeling a little bit spiritual, brother, this is the Lord's, <laughs> this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, rain or not, you know. And that's fine, that's okay. But that's not what it means. That's not what it means. Christ, before Gethsemane, before Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ in the upper room, he's singing this because he's fulfilling it, because Calvary that night, this is Passover night. This is Passover. There's many talk about Good Friday, but that's another study. I don't believe he was crucified on Friday. I believe he was crucified on a Wednesday. That's another study for another time. But he's singing. And he's sitting and he's singing. This is the day. See, if it was me, I'd be saying, oh, I don't want to sing this because it may come to pass. I don't want to sing this because if I sing this, I know what's lying ahead of me. No, he was saying, this is the day which Yahweh hath made. And we will rejoice. Church, we will rejoice. 
and be glad in it. Brothers and sisters, verse 24, he says that, verse 23, pardon me, I give you the wrong reference. He says, this is the Lord doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day. And Jesus is singing this before Calvary. So as I close with this thought. This is the day which Yahweh hath made. We will rejoice. Would you say rejoice? Rejoice. See the word here, rejoice. It's a word. Kiel. Kiel. Do you know what it means? I'm not going to do it because I'll fall over. To jump up and down and spin round. Maybe a little more enthusiastic than I did. <laughs> but that's the idea of this. Rejoicing. You know what's wrong with the church? We've become too stuffy. <laughs> it's time we've rejoiced in the Lord. Lord Jesus is saying we will rejoice. Gives the joy of spinning around and jumping up and down. Notice. We will be glad. We say glad. You know what the difference is in rejoicing and being glad in this? The word glad here is the word samach. You know what it means? To brighten up. Put a smile in your face. Jesus is going to Calvary and they're singing this and he's saying, Brighten up, boys. Brighten up, men. Come on, put a smile on your face. But Lord, what's going to happen? We're afraid. We're concerned. We're worried. We're hurting. We're disappointed. We're disillusioned. But Lord, we're this and we're that and we're the other. And we have a face the length of a horse's head. Uh. (laughs) These kids are killing themselves here. Can you see them? And he's going to the cross. He's going to the cross. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice. Won't you? He'll use the word heal. He'll be spinning around and jumping. And be glad in it. Come on, brighten up. Put a smile in your face. He's singing. I'm going, not you. But I'm going to die for you. And you know, every time I think of the cross, I want to spin up. <laughs> I want to jump. I used to be able to play and jump up and down when I played my guitar when I got excited sometimes. But last time I'd done that, the old grey mare ain't what it used to be. <laughs> and my back was getting sore every time I'd done it, so I thought I'd stop it. Brothers and sisters, here's the thought. He sang this the night he would be betrayed and die. And here's the thought for you. You have a lot to rejoice in. You have a lot to be glad for. This word gil gives the idea not only to be to rejoice and to be glad, and not only to, as it were, to brighten up, to put a smile in your face, to brighten your countenance, gives the idea to be proud of all of us. Do you know where my boasting is? Do you know what puts a smile in my face? And so do all of us. Every time I think he died for me, And every time I think he took it all for me and paid my debt for me that I might be free. Oh, well, Lord, I want to jump up and down and spin all around. And I want to have a brightness about my face. I want to be rejoicing and boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, verse 26, sorry. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They did that, didn't they? That week, earlier in the week, when they cried on to Jesus coming into Jerusalem the last week. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. And they were taken down palm leaves and thrown, thrown them on the ground. And this 
one in the name of the Lord would come, yet within, within what, five days, they were ready to shout, crucify him. And they would have shouted, Baruch Abba Hosanna, Hosanna, Baruch Abba Hosanna, Hosanna, Baruch Abba That's what they were singing. Shouting, Hosanna means save, oh save. Look at the verse before it. Save, oh save. And then, Baruch Abba Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. That's what they're crying. And Jesus is singing it. It sang not about me. But here's what's next. Verse 27. God is the Lord, which has showed his light. Here is the light into the world, the light of into darkness. Bind the sacrifices with cords, even to the horns of the altar. Bind the sacrifice. I looked up many, many commentators to try and find more about this. And this is what they all came up with. It means to bring to the altar. To bring bound to the altar. To bring bound and bind to the horns of the altar. To bring bound and bind to the horns of the altar until the blood is shed at the altar and applied to the horns. Bind the sacrifice with cords and come freely with the offering and present it to God. This was believed to be given as a welcome address to him who would lead up the sacrifice, meaning his offering would be acceptable. Take your sacrifice, he says, and bring it to the altar. Come on, you're bringing this altar, this lamb or this bull, whatever it is, up to the, up the altar. And you, the priest will bind it then for the family. When they're ready, they will slay it and the blood would be applied. And this is what he's saying. I am the animal. I am the sacrifice to be slain. And he'll be bound hand and foot to a cross of wood. Oh, they have sang, Now they're saying, away with this man and I'm crucified. And he knew exactly what he had come to do. Brothers and sisters, He sang this before he went to Calvary. Think about that. This wonderful one. Sang it before he went to Calvary that you and I might be saved, forgiven, and redeemed. Isn't he wonderful? I love him. Who loves him? I love him. I'm on Facebook Live. I'm on YouTube Live. I don't care. I want you to know I love him. I love him. I'm unashamed. I love Jesus. 